The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. A few years back, I decided I needed a good picture of myself, a proper headshot so I could look professional. So I went to have my picture taken by a pro. He sat me down on a stool, told me to point my head in a few directions, asked me a question that made me laugh, and then he said, great, we're all done. I was surprised. I'd been sitting there for no more than a couple of minutes. I sort of expected the process to take a bit longer. I didn't mention it to him, but I thought the photographer had done a bit of a crappy job. Surely he needed more time to get a good picture. And when I got the headshot back, I was still disappointed. Sure, it looked alright, but the whole process was just so quick. I wasn't convinced it was as good as it could have been. I was suffering from a psychological bias here. It's something called the labour illusion. It's a known psychological bias that means we tend to value things more highly when we see all of the effort that's gone into it. But as Dan Ariely, professor at Duke University states, often this bias is irrational. Time doesn't always equal effort. Reflecting back on that photographer, knowing what I know now about the labour illusion, I actually kind of admire him. That headshot, admittedly, is good. It's what I expected. But he was so good, the photographer was so good, that he managed to get the right shot in minutes. He wasn't wasting our time. All his years of experience had made him so good at his job that finding the right angle only took seconds. I should have applauded him for his speed, but I didn't. The illusion of labour took hold and I assumed it should have taken longer. The illusion of labour is a bias all marketers need to be aware of. It heavily dictates how your brand is perceived. Meals that come out too fast are rated as low quality, and search engine results that come back too quick aren't perceived as accurate. To dig into this effect and help us understand it, I chatted with Sam Tatum, Head of Behavioural Science at Ogilvy and author of a great new behavioural science book, Evolutionary Ideas. Here's Sam explaining the labour illusion effect. So the, the illusion of labour, sort of the, the labour illusion, is a bit of an extension of operational transparency, some of the work that Ryan Buell and Michael Norton um, have, have, have developed. And, and essentially, um, the, the more we see the work that's occurring behind closed doors, again, the more, the more, we, the more we trust it. So we're still, on, we're, we're still in the world of, of trust here. Um, so, for example... Seeing, being able to see the the production of our teppanyaki in front of us, you know, we we can see that that's that's fresh food. I mean, we 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 know that that's good. We've 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 been behind sort of the the, the counter to to have a look. Um, so lots of great research to show that actually, despite how many organisations might view efficiency and automation of of, of services, when we don't see it, we sort of value it less, and we and we trust it less. But what's really interesting, and that's that's really about operational transparency. So giving people access into a world that they otherwise wouldn't, and sometimes even slowing it down to justify the outcome can 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 trust hand, uh, can enhance trust. 
But the labour illusion is really about how we might actually provide a bit more of an illusion of labour that might not actually be occurring, but it helps us to justify the outcome. So um, in Boyle and Norton's paper, they, they speak about um, uh, listening to it to a, or, or calling up a teller um, that might be computer generated, but they have sort of the, the sound of, of typing keys in the background to show that someone's working to, to, to capture, our, to capture our, uh, our message or our complaint. Or ATMs that sort of, they're all mechanised, but they sort of have a visual image of counting the notes in front of you to give you an essence, sort of a sense of the labour that, that's really occurring through production processes, but it helps us to see it and appreciate it more. And I sort of talk about the labour illusion a little bit more in product design where actually we're using a lot of visual cues to help us to understand what I frame as sort of harder working products. Um, so, for example, the finished Powerball is a great example, in my eyes, a great example of the labour illusion. If you have this sort of, the, the, the coloration of the Powerball, this bright red Powerball shows us like that's the, that's the radioactive bit. Like that's, the, that's, the, that's the hardest working part of the, of the product. And, and, I, and I write that that, that red is for us. You mean that 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 red coloration isn't for the dishes. That that red is for us to see. Like, oh wow, this is doing this is doing a lot for us. Just like counting the sort of the the, the notes of an ATM, um, we can start to sort of break up components of a of a product visually to make it feel like it's doing more for us. And again, um, Rory writes about this in Alchemy, triple striped toothpaste. Again, how can we believe that it cleans teeth and freshens breath and and sort of supports healthy gums? Well, having three different colours uh, helps us to believe that versus an undifferentiated white paste. I really loved this example. Aquafresh Toothpaste wanted to showcase three benefits of using their toothpaste. Healthy gums, strong teeth, and fresh breath. Of course, they could have just stuck those benefits on the product packaging and hoped people read them, but they went one step further. They changed the product. When you squeeze Aquafresh onto your toothbrush, you see three colours in your blob of toothpaste, red, white, and blue. Those colours allude to the three benefits you'll get, healthy gums, strong teeth, and fresh breath. You think, okay, I must be getting multiple benefits here because I can see three different types of toothpaste on my brush. Of course, that's not the case. Those colours are just dye, but it works. It triggers the labour illusion. We think if they've made an effort to put three types of toothpaste in, it must be doing a lot of good. And it helps us remember those benefits as well. But we can see that in many different categories and products, from medicated throat lozenges to dishwashing tablets. We can start to illustrate what's the hard-working bit um, but I think for for the, for the labour illusion, particularly when we talk about labour illusion, um, uh, in in trust and 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 well, I was fortunate to to speak with Ryan Buell in the in the process of, of writing the book. Just a real sort of reminder that it doesn't mean that we can just create truths and visualise them. Right? We, we, there's lots of great research in in how sort of how aware we are as consumers to 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 um, to organisations that are just depicting labour but it's actually not effective or efficient so we just need to be really careful with overclaiming or using these tools um, when the outcomes are, are not are not truthful or not certain but if we know that we've got a winning a winning formula how can we help people to believe it uh, how, uh, and, and sometimes it can just be adding stripes to a toothpaste or changing the coloration and, and segmentation of a powerball to be like that's the or even just naming it the powerball Right? That helps us to focus on the fact that this is the that's the that's the hardworking section. 
So that's a little bit about the labour illusion, really its extension within operational transparency. There's academic evidence to back up the labour illusion. In 2005, Andrea Morales, an assistant professor at the University of Southern California, tested the bias. In the study, Morales recruited participants looking to buy a new house. The participants were told that an estate agent had created a list of 10 apartments based on their preferences. The participants were split into two groups. Half were told that the list of 10 apartments took nine hours to create, with the estate agent meticulously picking the best apartments for them. The other half of participants were told that the estate agent used a computer program to match their preferences with 10 apartments, and it took just one hour. After reading the scenario, the participants rated the apartments from 1 to 100. And it turns out, the participants who received the list that took 9 hours to create ranked the apartments as 36% better than the same houses on the low-effort list. Clearly, we value labour, even if it's irrational. The houses that both sets of apartments saw were the same, yet one group ranked them as more favourable because it took longer to create the list. So how can us marketers use the labour illusion and operational transparency in our work? I asked Sam for an example. Absolutely. I mean, and we see this and we see operational transparency all all the time. I mean, whether it's whether it's looking at um, there's this lovely Burley farm sort of just out of outside of New York that every 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 tub of their of their of their milk yogurt has a list of the names of the cows that they milk to produce it, you know, and just providing transparency. But two examples that I've always loved um, are, as you say, um, the, the Monteith's work and, and Intermache. And, and Monteith is a lovely piece of, of just signaling a transparent process. Again, how can we help people to see what was otherwise unobservable information? That's the power of a signal. How can Monteith's help people believe that we're like freshly picked from the orchard when the consumer interface is a beautifully polished bottle of crushed apple cider. Um, so what Monteith did, really lovely creative execution out of New Zealand, was put twigs from their orchard in every case of Monteith cider. Um, and they didn't, they didn't tell people what they were doing. They just, they just started putting twigs in, in, in boxes. Um, and before long, people were like, what on earth is happening here? We keep getting, they keep getting these twigs in our, in our cider. Um, and then they sort of came came clean with sort of sorry about the twigs and and it was a, a sort of wonderfully effective campaign again in bridging this trust in the claim that we come fresh from 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 orchards um, in the New Zealand countryside. Um, but but from sort of mass marketing budget through to farmers market. I remember when I lived in in Queens Park in in London, and we'd go to the farmers market, and the carrots are like five times the price as they are at Sainsbury's, which is about two minutes walk away. Um, and one of the things that differentiates, I mean, one of, to, the, to, the, to the untrained carrot eye that I have, one of the things that was sort of most differentiated is that the carrots at Queen's Park are dirty, right? Which normally, again, if we put on our rational hat, the, the, the same as when we're talking about the generous weight or an octopus energy, that rationally it's like coming dirty feels like it's a, it's, it's, it, it, it should be cheaper. Um, but actually, this perceptually sort of helps us to close this gap between the, the, the farm and the, and the plate. And, and it's, a, it's an acknowledgement. It's a signal of transparency. It shows that this is like freshly picked. 
Um, and so it's fr- from something quite complex to or, 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 or really sort of invested and 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 mass marketed like Monteith's. Or you mentioned also the example in Intermache, another brand, sort of cracking example that I've I've loved for many years. Um, for Intermache, it's not about sort of farm fresh carrots, and it's not about apples fresh from the orchard. It's about sort of the freshness of the squeeze of the juice. And they created the the freshest fresh juice brand on the planet. Um, so basically, they they branded every bottle of their orange juice with the exact time and minute that it was squeezed. It's just a lovely way of helping us to see that that was nine fifty four and that's ten seventeen. But both of them help us to believe that. I mean, it's pretty fresh, um, and it goes into again bringing us behind closed doors, helping us to see what would otherwise be unobservable information about the production process in slightly different ways. By the way, you can see images of both the Monteith's campaign and Intermarché's Freshest Juice in the show notes. And I really love those examples of operational transparency in marketing. I'm pretty convinced that they work. It's why Domino's have added a pizza tracker to show what stage your pizza is at, even if it's not 100% accurate. And it's also why Five Guys leave sacks of potatoes at their store entrance. So I wanted to test it myself. Would operational transparency increase the number of listeners for this very show, for Nudge? So I decided to run a test. I created two different Reddit ads. You can see the ads in the show notes. Um, And I promoted my special end of year episode from last year. The one where I listened back to all of my episodes from 2021 and collected the six best marketing principles that I had heard. The images for both ads were the same, but the copy was slightly different. The control read, learn six memorable marketing lessons with Nudge, the podcast that simplifies the science behind great marketing. That's sort of my standard promotional message, and I use that as the control. Then I had my operational transparency variant, and this one read, I've spent 480 minutes listening to marketing experts over the past year on my podcast. Here are the six best marketing lessons I've heard. So very much highlighting the labor that's gone into creating that episode. I spent $100 promoting both of these posts and over 200,000 people saw the ads and the results came back and I would say they were pretty conclusive. People were more likely to click on the operational transparency message, the one that talked about all the time I'd spent making the episode. The click-through rate for the control, the standard message, was 0.075%, while for the labor illusion variant, it went up to 0.110%. That's a 45% increase versus the standard message. Now, that's not bad, and I don't class these ads as scientific. They're obviously not peer-reviewed. It's building on evidence that's actually out there and has been peer-reviewed. And it satisfied my curiosity. It showed for me that in marketing, the labour illusion can work to improve your campaigns and messages. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. 
It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. The illusion of labor is everywhere, by the way. I didn't realize this until I read Sam's book. Here's a wonderful example. In 1975, about 750,000 cars entered Manhattan every single day. By 2004, this number had jumped to more than 1.1 million. To manage this increase in traffic, they decided to implement computer-controlled traffic lights across the city, and that disabled the buttons that pedestrians once operated to cross the road. So the traffic lights went from being operated by pedestrians to being operated by a managed central computer system. Now, the buttons initially survived. They weren't taken off the traffic lights. And that was simply because there was a huge cost to removing them. They couldn't get the budget to go around and remove buttons from every single traffic light, even though those buttons did nothing. But it turns out these buttons, even though they didn't work, they served a purpose. The presence of these buttons maintained a sense of control for New Yorkers waiting patiently to cross. Professors at the Negev University in Israel report that pedestrians who press a button and wait are less likely to jaywalk, even if the button doesn't do anything. And it's the same with elevator lifts. The closed door button often does nothing. Most elevators are on a timer where the door will close after it's open. But the button provides that sense of control that alleviates the pain of waiting. Here's a final cracking example from Uber. When Uber Pool, the service that lets you share a ride with others to half the fee, when that launched, the team had a real problem. Customers were cancelling pools at a much higher rate. Problem is, the process takes a lot longer. You don't just need to find a driver, you also need to find a rider going in the same direction. So, to improve the cancellation rate, they leveraged operational transparency. They tweaked the loading screen so it explained what was going on behind the scenes of this new uncharacteristic wait. They informed drivers with messages like, we are finding other riders going your way, and they put these messages into testing. With only this small tweak to the user experience, the team observed an 11% reduction in post-request cancellation rate. That's not bad. Before ending with Sam, I wanted to ask him one more question. See, Sam hates business buzzwords. He is no fan of the buzzword bingo you'll hear in Fortune 500 boardrooms. Yet, in his book, he makes a point that vocabulary in business is really important, especially for behavioral science. I asked him why he's so keen for us to learn more terms and phrases to describe behavioral science. Now, of course, I think language is really language is really important, um, and I write a lot in the book as to um, how I mean, from an evolutionary perspective, language has helped us to to, to thrive a, across the planet, right? Um, but but really, interestingly, when we look at language, it doesn't help us to just communicate with one another or just share ideas. It actually can help us to see things that we otherwise wouldn't see so clearly, and um, by having concepts behind things, by having labels behind things, we can start to cluster sort of quite complex information. So really fascinating research that's been conducted looking at colour psychology, for example. Um, if we imagine, I mean, the interesting thing about observing the brain 
when exposed with colour is that we all have the same sort of cones and rods and eyes and, and sort of visual perception. But actually the language behind different colours can, can react slightly differently. So I'll, I'll explain. If we look at blue, for example, in, in English language and I think in, in German, we, we, it's light blue or dark blue. So categorically, they're both blue. But if we look at Greek or Russian, there's different words that are used for light blue and dark blue. I think one is gulboy or senile. So they're categorically different concepts. If you put people under a brain scanner and you're asking people to differentiate between different shades of blue, we'll find for a Greek or a Russian participant, their brain will light up to say something is categorically different between these, these two colours, whereas for an English or a German speaker, there might be less of a surprise response, less of a categorical difference, because they're both just blue. Um, so that's kind of interesting when we're looking at colour psychology, but if we think of something like diabetes we find a lot of people suffer from diabetes because they have these diff- disparate symptoms that they can't place together on the fact that oh actually this is type 2 diabetes so so having a term helps us to cluster complex information um, and, and and that's a long way around sort of talking about behavioral sciences vernacular and I think it's very fair for people to turn their nose up at, at looking at sort of overcomplicating no offense to any lawyers out there, but being sort of lawyers of marketing to say, well, you can't play here because you don't know this. You don't know this language. We're going to sort of just out intellectualize you. Um, and and it's and I don't think that is the, the, the case. And I certainly don't see that as being the value. Um, but the finer language of behavioral science can help us to, again, categorize these patterns of human behavior in, in to, to a higher resolution. And if we look at in the language of marketing, we look at concepts like loyalty or surprise and delight or purchase. I mean, all these sort of buzzwords that we hear, but they're very they're very blunt. Like if Eskimos can have 50 plus words to describe the color of snow, like we can be better when we're talking about something so important to business as loyalty. Um, and the vernacular of behavioral science can help us to talk about some of the subcomponents that could contribute to loyalty. Um, so we can look, talk about commitment devices. We can talk about sunk cost. We can talk about endowment effects. We have we have other worlds that we can explore that the outcome is being more loyal, but we're coming into very different places. Um, and and in the book, I, I use the example of of language and, and and certainly for innovation and 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 finding creative solutions more efficiently. Um, that the language can help us to to, to get there. Um, and I use the example of the term banana, right? Like when we think of the word banana, we have this rich association already with its color, its shape, its scent. We don't describe it as sort of this yellow, slippery, bent morning staple. You know, that's an ineffective way of communicating the concept of banana. And if we think of innovation and behavior change or, or marketing, um, it's far more effective for us to sort of say, shall we, shall we use the banana? You mean? versus, oh, I wonder if we tried a yellow bent, slippery short morning, morning staple that we can help to sort of cut to more, more quickly these, these patterns of solutions that we can deploy. Um, because once we can say it, we can see it. Just as we can see different shades of blue, it, it is categorically different. We can differentiate what is um, the difference between that's kind of operational transparency, but this is really the labor illusion, right? That can be splitting hairs, but again, it helps us to approach problem solving differently. Because that, that, that arms us with different questions to interrogate our problem. So it's not about 
let's have reams and reams of different biases and heuristics that people are drowning in and sometimes it can be used to hurt our industry, um, our category. There's just this, there's a bias a minute. And I think I understand that just throwing a list of, of, of biases at a problem isn't the solution either. Um, but, but there's an additive approach here that it helps us to, to focus our efforts on a short list of things that we can deploy that we otherwise wouldn't for an outcome that at the moment is loyalty. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in, in the language to help us to see these examples that we've talked about today and extrapolate their value into foreign contexts. I think that's a wonderful point to end on. Knowing the difference between operational transparency and the illusion of labour, or even knowing vaguely what those words mean, it isn't just more buzzword bingo, it's essential vernacular that helps us to convince others across an organisation to adopt and try these ideas. You can't just say let's increase the waiting time for our customers because it might make them value our product more. You'll need to say, hey look, there's something called the illusion of labour and here's how we could use it. Anyway, that's all we have time for today. I want to say another huge thank you to Sam for coming on the show. His book, Evolutionary Ideas, is, I think, a must read for every marketer and for behavioral science fans out there. So do pick it up if you, if you want to. I've dropped a link to it in the show notes so you can go and grab a copy. As always, I'd love your feedback. I've put a lot of time and effort into these shows, and I'm not just saying that to get you to value this episode more, but I would really appreciate your thoughts. What you like, what you don't like, all of that can help me improve. So to get in touch, you can email me at phil, that's phil with two L's, uh, phil at nudgepodcast.com, that's phil at nudgepodcast.com, or you can message me on LinkedIn. I'm Phil Agnew on there. Okay, that's all. Cheers for listening.